This morning I am concluding the series of Thursday Lenten homilies on the resurrection of Lazarus. Today we come to the epilogue of the story which begins in John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Holy God, as your rain flows down and nourishes the earth this day, so may your spirit come upon us in the hearing of this text. Allow us to find our own place in this holy drama. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. On the evening before Palm Sunday, Jesus and the disciples were hosted at a dinner party in the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Martha served, of course, but I'm really not interested in doing Martha bashing this morning. Someone has to serve. If Martha hadn't done that, Jesus would not have eaten. There are lots of ways of serving Jesus that aren't in the spiritual gifts inventory. For example, in our home, no one has a gift for washing the dishes. But we just do it because we love the family. But this narrative isn't really about Martha. The spotlight wants to shine on Mary. At some point in the dinner party, she walks over to Jesus and she kneels down in front of him. She pours out extremely expensive perfume on his feet and then wipes his feet dry with her hair. I think that this created a a socially awkward moment at the party. (laughs) No one quite knew what to say for a moment there while this perfume just filled the air. This was pure nard, the text says. Cost 300 denarii, a year's wages. 
all poured out at the feet of Jesus. Finally, Judas can't stand it anymore, so he says, who authorized this expense? I'm paraphrasing just a bit. He says, Jesus, do you know what we could have done with this amount of money? Did Jesus really need to have a perfume bath for his feet? On the face of it, it's, on the face of it, it's not a bad question. What about the poor? What about the church's mission? But Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. The poor you will always have with you, you will not always have me. Apparently, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 15.11, where we're told, you will always have the poor with you, so always keep your hand open to them. Clearly, Jesus is not telling us to close our hands to the poor. Jesus spent so much of his ministry caring for the poor. If you're gonna be a disciple of Christ, you will inevitably be led to caring for the poor as well. But that's not what makes you a disciple of Christ. There are lots of non-Christians who very effectively care for the poor. What makes you a disciple of Christ is that you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. This one who's about to go to Jerusalem to die for us. Being a Christian is not fundamentally a matter of the needs you meet or how well you get the job done. It's primarily a matter of living in Christ. And this Christ who is continuing to care for the poor will lead you to care for the poor as well. We're not really sure how many people were at this dinner party. Could have been anybody else there. So I'm going to invite you to join the party as well. Where will you find yourself seated at this dinner party? Closer to Judas or closer to Mary? The text tells us that Judas stole from Jesus. It could say the same thing about us. We too steal from Jesus when we just talk about caring for the poor because we know that's what disciples are supposed to do. But in reality, we're much more concerned about getting Jesus' blessings for us, trying to pry them out of his fingers, stealing them from his bag. We steal from Jesus when we're more concerned about having a calling than we are about falling in love with the people whose feet we are called to wash. We steal from Jesus when we care more about our agenda for him than his agenda for us. By contrast, Mary has no agenda or expectations for Jesus. She used to. The last time we saw Mary, she was again at Jesus' feet, only it's because she had collapsed in tears and in crying. She had an expectation then that Jesus would return quickly and heal her brother before he died. But after she has seen Jesus raise the dead, Mary now knows that her expectations of him were not too high, but far too low. And so now, she's just at the feet of Jesus. 
and she gives up her expectations. She pours them out as she does this costly perfume. All that's left now is gratitude. So there we are. These are the two positions available to you at the dinner party. Where would you sit? Next to the one who is complaining about what Jesus has not done, or next to the one lost in such extravagant gratitude. Have you ever noticed that some people have more than their share of hardships in this life? They're chronically ill, they have a family member in trouble, their job's in jeopardy, but every time you see them, their countenance is joyful, and they are among the kindest people you know. Whereas others have a relatively easy life, but every time you encounter them, you're encountering more complaints. That's because contentment has nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. It has everything to do with choosing gratitude, a choice that is always available to us. I don't know if there is such a thing as a measurement of spirituality, but if there is, I would vote for gratitude. Because gratitude means that we are paying attention to our blessings. Have you ever noticed you cannot be grateful and mean, or grateful and cynical, or grateful and demanding more? The grateful heart just pushes those things out. But you can be grateful and loving, and grateful and hopeful, and grateful and generous. My old grandfather had a phrase he used to say, anytime someone would show him the slightest courtesy, he would tip his hat and say, much obliged. You don't hear that so much anymore. It's kind of a shame. Because the reality is we are much obliged. We are obliged to those around us who've given us everything that we truly cherish. And we are obliged to the Savior who died to give us life. When you attend to that, you become grateful. And what grateful people most want to do is to give, especially to the poor. The other choice is to get lost in your complaint about what Jesus is not giving you and choose to take it for yourself. But be careful. As this story will soon reveal, Judas demonstrates that becoming a taker is hard on the soul. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.